Hello and welcome to episode 158 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I am Anthony Malakian and uh, James is back. James Rundle is back from uh, FIA Boca. Hi. Yeah, uh, how do you like the weather up here as opposed to uh, down in sunny Florida? It's really good. Uh, what I really like is the torrential driving rain. Yeah. Um, it makes me feel good when I'm waiting for a bus in the morning. Yeah, um, when the umbrella is just shooting open. and uh, If know. you have an umbrella, because I appear to have lost mine <laughs> between somehow leaving for Florida and coming back and it's not there anymore. Yeah, so. listen, I I will shamelessly say, you send over us some umbrellas, man. You know, we will we will take them, and you know, I'm not guaranteeing we will advertise you know, any uh, Yeah, yeah but I will definitely walk around with your uh, <laughs> trademarked umbrella, let me tell you. <laughs> That's it. And then lose it in three days. We were just having a conversation today with uh, uh, Mia, our reporter over here. And when she comes in, she always opens up her umbrella to let it dry out. And I see a lot of people that do that. And I always make fun of them. I'm always like, it's an umbrella. It's it's okay. You don't have to dry out the umbrella. You know, it's it's, it's fine. You know? And uh, she's like, but it will last longer. It's better care. I go, who actually is able to keep an umbrella for a long time? Like, I don't know. Like, I lose my umbrellas all the time. Filipino like, journalists, man. Yeah, this is it. They hold on to that stuff. That's... Also an alcoholic, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the bars have eaten much of my money and my umbrellas. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and my hats and scarves. and uh, At least on my laptop. That was the fault of uh, LaGuardia TSA. That yeah. Was good. yeah. James lost his brand new MacBook uh, at the LaGuardia That was airport. literally the worst. So I, I lost my laptop. Found out when I got to the hotel. And I was trying to get out of my suitcase before I went off to the conference. Then my phone started messing up as well. Like I don't know if any of you have an iPhone X, but it has this weird thing where occasionally if it gets too hot, it'll just start overheating and go yeah. an infinite reboot loop. So anyway, I um, get to the conference. My laptop's gone. I've got no way of filing stories. My phone is just not working. I get so frustrated that I just launch it. Um, not the smartest move in the world, but it kind of like goes in this perfect curve and lands inside one of the ice water bottle stands. <laughs> like, pick it up and it's cooled it down and it starts working again. This is great. There you so, go. Yeah. Yep. Or uh, just... I. W- I mean, I was making so much fun of James. I, I can't even imagine going through airport security and leaving my laptop there. Uh, yeah. Neither could I until I got a flight to Florida at like 7 in the morning, Yeah, half awake. Yeah. yeah. Were we drinking the night before? I can't remember. I think we're always drinking the night before, Tony. Yeah, yeah. Good point. So what you're saying is it's your fault and you're going to be Because the TSA doesn't yes, have it, fault. apparently. Yeah, I got an email exactly. yesterday saying, oh, no, we seem to have lost your brand new laptop. You stupidly left it yeah, there. exactly. So. <laughs> However, one of our TSA staff is very happy now. So. Or I prefer to think that they put one of those uh, bomb robots like around it and just blew <laughs> it up. Yeah, explosion. Yeah. explosion. Worst thing being, I'm still paying that thing off as well. So we've got another $600 left to go on that. Just fantastic. So we will be talking about the actual stories that came out of uh, Boca. Um, Before that, just quickly, again, we've been talking about this a lot, but the CAT NMS committee has proposed, shockingly, a delay, another delay. um, That's the noise. In the history of delay. That's the noise. Ah, dip, yeah. Yeah, we were supposed to do a a pig sound there. (laughs) Yeah, well, we got to work on these. Um, But yeah, so five-month delay uh, to broker reporting. Um, it's another one of those so, great things where they've kind of they said they're going to do it and they propose it to the SEC and the SEC hasn't responded, so they're doing it anyway. It's, yeah. As is the story of the cat. And, you know, and everybody's just allowing them to go on with this. Just keep yeah. on just kicking that can down the road. And, yeah, yeah. you know, let's see what ends up happening here. Um, so, yeah, this is basically testing is expected to commence in December. Mm-hmm. We'll see about that. We'll see about that. If I was a betting man, and I am. Um, but I don't think they put odds on this um, at the casino. Though I will be in Baltimore this weekend, and there's a casino about a 10-minute trip from where I'm Do you think they write bets for, like, complicated U.S. market structure projects? I would hope so. I mean, just, yeah. maybe there's a market to be made here, I think, actually. Maybe. But, yeah, I would put another delay uh, to be expected on that. 
Um, so the title is just Cat and a Mess Committee Proposes Five-Month Delay to Broker Reporting. Uh, Mia has the inside uh, scoop on that, so you can read that, should you still want to be keeping up on the cat. What I like is how dysfunctional that is, that when Mia phoned up the Cat and a Mess Committee to kind of get their comment on it, which of course, yeah, nothing's saying, the SEC, no yeah. comment. Um, like the PR on the other end was just like, how do you know these dates? And me was like, well, I listened to the webcast you had yet, the public webcast you had yesterday, guys. Come on. Like, that, they, they, that's the other thing. They just keep on trying to quietly just release yeah. stuff and just you know, see if no one notices, really, you know? That's it, yeah. Um, so, a couple interesting stories uh, that came out of Boca. I think that's the, the one that we should start talking with, the one that our audience will probably care most about, is uh, you got to sit down with. Um, Commissioner Giancarlo, um, yeah. talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, he had his kind of, um, I guess, his swan song speech because he's expected to step down in the summer. Um, actually, at the same time that he was giving a speech and that we were talking to him, uh, Heath Tarbert was being confirmed in the, or had his hearing in the Senate Ag Committee, uh, who will be most likely taking over as a CFTC chair. Uh, he's a Treasury Department official. So Giancarlo sat down with a bunch of reporters afterwards and we chatted about a number of things like his plans to overhaul the CEF rules. Um, but the interesting thing that came out, actually, so Giancarlo has always been an advocate of turning the CFTC into what he calls a 21st century regulator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he gave a speech at um, at a law school in Washington not too long ago where he talked about the need to become a quantitative regulator, big data regulator. Mm-hmm. So I so said to him, look, you know, you've been at the commission for a long time now. Um, you are going to be leaving this summer. Do you feel that you've got kind of all the way you need to go? And he kind of just sat down and he said, well, yeah, you know, it's been tough. Um, CFTC's budgets have been sort of notoriously tight, I think, of, of all regulators. I mean, yeah. um, this is the first year they got their full request, though. Um, same with the SEC as well. Um, and a, a big substantial portion of that is to do with technology. So He was, he was also, John Carl was also the one that brought back the technical, uh, the technology committee, the tech. yeah, the tech, yeah. right? Because that, that had kind of gone dormant for a long time, I think. It had, I and think he made that a key piece of it. If he I did, remember I, it correctly, I think it's either Benham or Quinton's at the sponsor for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was kind of a driving force behind it with everything that's been going on. You know, he's crypto dad and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So you know, talking about DLT and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So. Y- y- I've been covering sort of regulators and technology for a long time, and, and the narrative is always that they're underfunded, apart from the SEC, which seems to be just hiring data quants left, right, and centre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the CFTC, if you look at what their requests were over the last five years, 2015 was 280, they actually got 250. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2016 was 330, they got 250 uh, million, these are dollars. Um, it doesn't leave a lot of room to actually build this out into the kind of market structure, technology-enabled regulator you need to be. Like, the SEC has Midas, and it has, you know, eventually the cat, eventually. Um, The SEC doesn't seem... The CFTC, sorry, doesn't seem to have anything similar. He was a little bit caged about what specific capabilities they have. So he was saying, we do do some big data collection, we do some analysis. I don't want to say exactly what we can do so people can start sort of finding ways around it. Um, But I think it's just representative of where regulators kind of need to be now. They need to be these technology firms. Same as the industry. Sure. Like, you know, banks are technology firms, or they, or they say they say. Um, regulators themselves need to be technology-enabled firms, at least now as well. So I think it was interesting just to see his perspective that kind of they are further along the road than many people thought uh, in terms of their capabilities, but not all the way there yet. There's still a way to go. So we'll see what happens when Heath Tarber takes over, um, whether he keeps that kind of focus on technology, because that's always been Giancarlo's thing, having come from 
um, a trading platform and you know GFI and Entity the Broker being very sort of embedded in tech, whether that continues afterwards. Yeah, well, I'll be interested to see also with him, you know, does he decide, you know, is he going to go into politics or is it just you're going to find him being like the next big name that everybody will then write numerous stories about him going yeah. into crypto and, you know, that that's he's just going to look oh, to cash yeah. in. I mean, I imagine he'll be very quickly signed up as a non-executive director on various boards of, I mean, you know, yeah. the usual people. I wouldn't want to name names, but the big ones. I think Everybody that'll keep be like scoop. Giancarlo Lanza. Yeah. I'm telling you what. I'm 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 already getting the scoop right now. I'm breaking it for you. Yeah, exactly. He's going to end up on a board somewhere. It's yeah. not going to be that big of a deal. All right, calm the hell down. Sorry, the block. <laughs> <laughs> it's like cool. He's he landed somewhere. Yeah, he'll be on Kraken. He'll yeah. be on Coinbase. He'll be on Gemini or whatever it is, yeah. and that'll keep him nicely in uh, in filthy lucre for yeah. the rest of his career. I think. Um, but speaking of crypto, yep. Uh, there was uh, you had another uh, story to come out of there. Yeah, so it was uh, it was an interesting panel actually. So uh, it was the CME Group, Cibo, Coinbase, um, and um, Digital Asset Manager, who was moderating it. So the night before, Cibo had actually announced that they weren't going to be listing any more Bitcoin futures contracts, but this wasn't yeah. brought up during the discussion at all, from what I, I heard. Um, we hardly knew ye. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, we kind of all knew that was coming after they had a Ed Tilly and, and Chris. Um, Isaacson had a lunch with reporters in February and they were very cautious about crypto whereas in the past they've been very pro it um, but out of this panel it was kind of interesting to see the split between kind of the traditional guys who are now doing crypto like the CME and CBO and uh, and uh, Tom Chippers from RSX as well and Coinbase um, you know who are still sort of old school crypto and you know their view of Blockchain enables decentralized structures, so that's what we should go for, versus the exchange guys going, well, no, you can't do futures and derivatives unless you have clearinghouses, unless you have custody banks, mm-hmm. all this traditional market infrastructure. Um, and also, uh, there was actually interesting, um, the guy from Backit was on there. Um, the guy from what? Back, uh, back, sorry. You know, ICE's uh, oh, yeah, cryptocurrency yeah, yeah. Thing they're doing. Yeah. Now, that guy who runs that also used to be the um, MD for Coinbase as well. So okay. he's come from that world and gone to this one. But he was sort of very much on the traditional side of things. Um, and they were saying, you know, price discovery is now taking place in futures markets. And CME said, you know, recently they had a record day um, where the volume of their contracts actually outstripped the spot market. So price discovery is now happening in futures markets, oh. which lends then the kind of the credence, I guess, and the, uh, the authority to go ahead and say, well, now you need these structures and just make it kind of like derivatives and futures light, essentially. Yeah. Um, but I think this is, you know, looking at this from a deeper perspective and, and how crypto will evolve, especially as institutional interest, I think, pulls back a little bit. Um, now you don't have that kind of massive uh, profit element to it. Yeah. Um, it will either, I think we're beginning to see how it will split and evolve now. So you will find very specific use cases which will be handled by the exchanges. That's where the development will take place. Um, these sort of retail-focused spot exchanges who are catering not just to institutions, but also to the day traders and everything else that do it, I think they'll go a different way. Um, and I don't really see how the two can reconcile those two needs. You know, it's it's too dis- different in kind of what they actually want to do. Yeah. And so I think that's the interesting kind of discussion that will take place over the next year or two years, and we'll see that split start to happen. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's... it's, it's with crypto, like with blockchain, you know, I really am down on blockchain technology in many mm-hmm. ways. Um, obviously, we've spoken a lot about it on uh, the podcast here. Um, crypto, I think, is going to always be an interesting asset class, an interesting market. The hype around it, the the fact that the, how many wasted words and type yeah. and stuff is, is always interesting because this is 
going to just take a long time. This isn't something that can just be, you know, SIBO goes in, we're going to be, we're going to watch this. It's going to be going. Well, nah, maybe it's not. Like a, I just think it's a sideshow in the way to what it will be. Money will become digital. It's mm. as simple as that, you know. We're not going to have paper money in 50 years' time, I don't think. Like, everything will be digital. Yeah. Um, and whether that's dollars or whether it's, like, credits or whatever you want to call it and that kind of thing, we will have that. I think people are trying to jump the gun a bit by embracing this, saying this is the future of money. It's not. Like, it's an interesting expression right. of what it's going to be. We don't need a blockchain to run it and everything Digitization is one thing, you know. Yeah, and I think that kind of that leads nicely on to the other story that uh, came out of this. Where I, so I sat down and spoke with Jennifer Peavy from the DTCC about the Trade Information Warehouse. So that's their credits uh, default swap processing hub. Um, mm-hmm. We've reported on this for years now. It's been delayed again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that it's been done now. It's been built. It's in testing at the moment. Which kind of what we heard from Brad Levy um, yep. from Market when they released TradeServe last year, which is dependent on this launching. Yeah, just tell them a little bit about how that connects. Yeah, so uh, they, they um, it, was it DSMatch or something that yeah. sort of uh, has to link with it because DSMatch handles a lot of the, the post-trade processing events. So it needs to link with the trade information warehouse and sync up with that platform to effectively handle processing of lifecycle events for credit derivatives. Yeah. Um, so Jennifer seemed pretty certain they would be launching mid Q4 mm-hmm. on this. Uh, if it happens, great. I mean, there's still a lot of testing periods left to do. I got the feeling it was endgame now for this. But you know, again, like it's interesting. Like it's cool that they're actually putting this in place, and this probably is the bona fide case study in market structure for blockchain. Right? Sure. Um, I, I just I still don't see what the benefit of using blockchain and stuff is over this. And, you know, we talked a bit further about what the DTCC has been doing with blockchain. It was interesting. She said that they um, they asked R3 and Digital Asset to build some prototypes to see if their blockchain systems could handle slightly above what an average daily kind of uh, processing uh, exercise would be for equity settlement in U.S. markets. And generally it's like 105 million trades per day or something like that, the DTC yeah. handles. So they asked them, um, they broke it down and said, can you handle... This amount of trades per second over the course of five hours, which adds up to 120 million trades. And um, both the blockchain systems handled it, apparently. It was great. And they didn't even hit the cap. So they weren't stress testing it or anything. They were just seeing if it could do it. And, you know, one of the criticisms of blockchain systems has always been... Um, capacity. Capacity and whether they can handle the volume yeah. of, of like something like the U.S. equity market. And it seemed they could do this. But then I turned around and I was like, look, I mean, like you know, this is all very impressive and everything, but you already have systems that do this on a daily basis. Like, I mean, you handle four quadrillion trades per year or whatever it is. Like, why are you trying to reinvent the wheel? with this? Like, what benefits is it actually giving you? And she was, you know, she gave good answers. She said there are sort of, you know, aspects of it that work better on a blockchain, such as the cryptographic security, in such theory. as, in theory, such as the single source of information that people can then, like, work off and do that thing. Yep. And I get that, but and she, she was like, at this stage, it really is just experimentation to see if we can do it, you mm-hmm. know, and if the system can handle it. No one's talking about replacing it tomorrow. And that kind of thing. But yeah. still, I had that kind of lingering thing of, and I always get this, like, whenever I talk to people about blockchain, I think, yeah, this is great. Why does it need a blockchain? Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about that Royal Mint project that um, that uh, was going on for the gold trading one, but which has been quietly shelved now. I think JP Morgan was involved, and, and uh, it was either... Yeah, Emilio or Joe wrote about it. Joe yeah. Um, and that was sort of quietly shelled. Because again, as, as Matt Levine from uh, from Bloomberg said, why do you just keep a list mm-hmm. of who owns the gold? And every time someone sells the gold to someone else, just update that list. <laughs> and it works fine. Like, yeah. you, know, you don't need a blockchain for it. So I don't know. Like For me, there are definite use cases for blockchain and corporate actions. There are definite use cases in blockchain and post-trade scenarios. Yeah. 
on a, and there are definite use cases um, when you're trying to digitize a market that has been historically very manual. So I did a story a couple of years back about the LSE uh, through their Italian subsidiaries. They run the, the, the Italian market through Monte Titoli oh. and through uh, everything else. And they said, you know, the secondary market there, or the, the kind of the, uh, the SME market, sorry, um, that's traditionally been like bundles of papers and lawyers' desks and that kind of thing. And you can put a blockchain market in there and it will work because uh, that's building it from the ground up. Yeah. That's cool. Like again, you've got a matching engine. Like, why do you need to do it? Yeah. It's not that difficult. Oh, it's, but, a, it's a whole hammer looking for a nail thing. It's the whole, this exactly. is a new technology. You know, there was a pressure, I think, on technology budgets to show value that, and to get money released for a project. Mm-hmm. The reason why I think blockchain has had some success, so much success is that since no one really knows understands it or you know fully you know we're at the kind of the cfo ceo and ceo level you know there's still maybe some knowledge gaps there to say the least so. um and also just in actual real world use cases we're still theoretical here we're still proof of concepts or yeah. small deployments you know the, the, this isn't anything that we've done huge amounts of testing on you can get you can free up cash you can free up money and people can carve out new jobs for themselves yeah create new responsibilities for themselves, create teams for themselves. Well, now you have to execute. And, yeah. you know, things are just, get, you know, and that's the reason why I, I, I always call people move stories. Like, they're the, the kitten videos, you know, the, of, uh, you know, the, they get clicks. But who cares? You know, somebody's moving from one place to another. Yeah, let's see what that person does. That's what yeah. I care about, you know. Um, but the reason why we do always try and update stories on projection dates for when these things are supposed to go live is just to be able to document and to show that yeah you know th- this thing has been pushed back now five six i, I it's yeah. been a lot from from when they originally started and it's not necessarily i'm not being critical of them the way that like yeah. I'm, i was being critical of cat and a mess like that's not this delays happen and these things just happen but it's this everybody just takes it as gospel almost that oh yeah we're gonna have this up and running 2019 2020 we're gonna we're not there yet guys as an industry we're not there calm down with this this is just it's a technology it is a tool it is not a panacea and this is the worry as well that so much money has now been sunk into this and so many people it's hard to turn around it's hard to turn around and so many people are now dependent on this because they have to show an roi on what's been you know you get some people who are specialists and will be moved on to other jobs and that kind of thing, but a lot of people are probably looking at this quite worried now and thinking, Christ, I've been in charge of this blockchain project for four years now and we still don't have anything working. Yeah. Like, so they're going to try and shoehorn something in that will work, but it's not going to necessarily be better. Yeah. Like, you know, blockchain works on, on targeted use cases. There's a, who's that security company that grew out of the CIA? Palantir, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have a, their identity system to get into their offices around the world is blockchain. Yeah. And that makes sense because you can't corrupt that with a 51% attack or whatever because yeah. it's private, you know. But, and are you going to do anything other than process corporation? Nothing's going to trade on a blockchain system. Yeah. Might work in power markets. It's not going to work in the US equity market. Not until the technology gets much better. So, are you actually trying, as you say, trying to find, you know, the hammer and the nail situation or not? But, yeah. And so I think that that brings on to the last you know, news story that we're going to talk about. Um, let me just mark down the time, make my life easier. Um, is so this didn't come out of Boca. Our colleagues on Brist.net, and we've been publishing a couple of these stories. Uh, Luke Clancy's been looking at the Australian uh, Securities Exchange and ASX. They are famously now 
of being one to say, yep, we are replacing our our uh, clearinghouse electronic sub-register system, CHESS, otherwise yep. known, and just going to go with blockchain, distributed ledger technology. See what I said before about people how we're going too far into our projects and having to do it now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, this is something that we've been writing about for many years uh, here on Waters uh, since they first announced it. You know, Wei Shen and I uh, wrote a story a while back, a couple of years ago, where the industry was like, we don't understand why. They haven't been able to explain why why they're doing this. Like, why, well, why is the need for this right now? And then I think I wrote a story immediately after with them doubling down saying, we're also going to use it for fixed income clearing yeah. as well. So, yeah. It's like, really, guys? So <laughs> just in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, two stories uh, came out. First one, ASX uh, is going to offer free blockchain settlement to lower early adopters. Now, first thing to remember here, chess like uh, the trade information warehouse, DTCC's trade information warehouse, has been delayed many times. Right now they are hoping uh, that in the first half of 2001, uh, uh, 2021, yeah, I said that right, um, <laughs> that they will be going live with this. Again, if if uh, somebody wants to create a market for betting of go live dates, I would put all my money on 2022 earliest on yeah. this, of yeah. real, actual, not just these small little Actual go live, all right. If anyone wants to get it together, by the way, the ante is one pint of beer at the White Horse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very liquid market. Um, so this is um, right now the way it works on the exchange. Uh, you can either uh, use industry standard connections uh, via SWIFT or AM, uh, AMQP, which was created by JP Morgan, was it? I think. Um, I know it's used by all the big you know, Wall Street kind of that connectivity standard? Yeah. It, yeah. Um, as, our, as our friends on Inside Reference Data have been writing a lot about ISO 20022, which I really haven't read much about because, you know, it's ISO and Every time you write it, you just want to kill yourself. Yeah, this exactly. Is just, yeah, you know, is this but, what I cover, really? <laughs> this, it's going to be this new messaging system, and it's going to be a very important messaging system going forward. But anyway... Uh, the way it works right now, uh, the way that ASX is saying this, um, as Luke uh, Clancy reports, those using the AMQP protocol uh, will pay a monthly fee of uh, about $350 US to connect to ASX's own telecommunications network, ASX.net. Um, and the second option, SWIFT, uh, which is you know the leader in messaging um, in, around the world, uh, will cost a lot more. Um, there will be an administration fee. Any cost ASX incurs in meshing with the SWIFT platform will be passed on to users on a pro rata basis. They may also be charged a setup connection fee if they want uh, if they connect via SWIFT after the go live date. Do you think that's fair? Because they're the ones who want to move to this whole sing and all dance new system, well, it's, and now it's, it's this is know, them yeah. going after SWIFT and trying to get some you know just trying to. Try and create a new way of saying, ah, this is way too expensive. Come use our blockchain. Yeah. When that blockchain goes live, we'll see. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, so this is almost targeted at Swift in many ways, um, is, is the feeling that I get in just talking with a couple people uh, just here and there. It does come across as that anyway, that, listen, this is a way to get people, early adopters, onto our platform because this has to succeed. Yeah. We can't have, we can't. We can't push for a blockchain uh, settlement platform, and then, you know, everybody's like, "I don't want to use it, or I'm going to drag my feet." Be like, "Let's just give them the carrot here. Let's give them, you know, this yeah. is free if you come and use it on us." But again, I think that 
while this is planned, it's a, it's a great story um, by by Luke, uh, uh, real um, uh, a scoop, so called scoop. Um, it's still way too early days, yeah. as far as as I can tell. But that was followed up. Uh, Luke also then wrote about um, the ASX will try and use. Uh, the blockchain to shorten settlement cycles. Right. If you've been following the space for a long time, the blockchain space, this was, this was the original uh, reason to bring in the capital market. It was all about settlement. Real-time settlement. All about, right? yeah. yeah. And originally started off, yep, U.S. equities, we will, T plus zero, real-time settlement. What I found interesting about this is the work, and, and you would brought up, why you maybe talk a little bit about this, but the, the work that they were talking about with uh, Hong Kong exchange. <laughs> which is already, so yeah, through the Stock Connect program, which yeah. links uh, uh, Shanghai and, and Hong Kong. Um, so you can trade southbound uh, into the mainland, China, or northbound into Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, that, southbound trades are already done in a real-time delivery versus payment basis. Like you, uh, the way it works, and I, I, it's been a while since I covered this. Since we have Wei Shen out there, who generally handles Stock Connect, yeah, I believe it is that you provision your broker with the stocks or with the payment into an account. It's then done through various settlement sessions throughout the day. I think it's like four hours or something between the order and executing and, and being settled. Yeah, I, I can kind of see in some ways how blockchain might help that, but like. What are you going to do? You can have a blockchain system to make sure that all the stocks are going to be broken. Then another blockchain system that handles the settlement, connecting between them is going to be funny. Like I, mean, I just don't really get it. Like you know, it's clunky and, and crappy as it happens. Anyway, people don't like real time settlement. There's yeah. a reason why it takes a couple of exactly. days to do it. There are trade breaks and like, and also, you know, this is not revolutionary. I'm, I'm not shitting on Luke here whatsoever. His story was great. I'm just yeah. talking about this general idea of kind of doing it. So the DTCC moved to T plus two um, in 2018. And uh, we've got some great coverage on that if you want to read about it. One of the things that came out about it, and this was also covered by Mir at the time, was that the DTCC is encouraging participants to clear on a T plus one or even a T plus zero. So same day, real-time yeah. settlement basis, um, on a voluntary basis. Uh, done using existing technology. We don't yeah. need a blockchain for this yeah. stuff. And like, yes, you can shorten the settlement period using blockchain. Theoretically, it can be instant settlement if you want. But again, there are reasons for that not happening. There are problems with funding trades for things coming in. There's the issue of how do you have securities lending work in that environment? How do you have short selling working in that environment as well? Complex markets that are becoming increasingly more complex. How do you, there are unforeseen uh, challenges to T plus I mean, you and I both know people who work in operations and banks, right? And how difficult their jobs are to actually get those trades settled and how much crap it relies upon from between like the banks and the custody banks and everything else. Like there's a lot of faxes being used and that kind of thing. Yes, you can make the system and put it in place. The rest of the infrastructure is not ready for it. Neither is the staff, neither is the market, quite frankly. Because, again, if you have real-time settlement, I mean, and this is just me with my kind of deep state, not not deep state hat on, but my conspiracy theory, kind of worst-case scenario risk hat on, what happens if you start having malfunctioning algorithms and everyone's trading, bang, 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 real-time settlement, you get these kind of peaks and troughs and markets going to be emphasize beyond anything we saw in 2010 sure. the flash crash you know it's something that needs to be thought about properly I yeah. think. and you know, just because we can doesn't mean we should yeah so, i mean this is yeah. this is something that it's i just i really feel like it's just again we've just been talking about this being on it but it's just people are pushing forward on something that isn't necessarily wanted by industry participants yeah there are, there are certainly improvements that can be made to back offices. I'm, sure I'm sure there are some and segments that do want it as well. real so, technologies like yeah. artificial intelligence and yeah. advancements there, 
Yes, and, and using public cloud providers and, and you know, these other kind of real technologies as opposed to, and I, I like to say real technology, blockchain is obviously real technology, but it's just a tool. Yeah. And it's being a tool that's being trying to be pigeonholed into being a panacea for everything. And what's interesting is, is everybody's mark going forward about how this is going to streamline, bring transparency and everything. If everybody's creating their own blockchains, well, then these things have to be linked. And I understand everybody's like, well, it's easy to live. We have not proven that this no. is easy to do. And the fact that there are so many delays indicates to me that, that this is not easy in any no. way, shape or form. And this is it. I mean, like, I've got no problem with like, you know, experimenting with new stuff. But of what course. I'm going to say to people is like, okay, so you want to do this on like the Hong Kong exchanges market, for instance. Why don't you just create a dark pool or a, a, a separate venue or an AT or something that is instant settlement? That yeah. is sort of like, you know, not necessarily uh, Hong Kong Exchange, but ASX or something like that, and say, you come into this pool of liquidity, it's instant settlement, it's powered by blockchain, um, we'll see how it goes, this yeah. kind of thing. And then maybe, maybe after a few years, it's been road tested, it's gone through a financial crisis or two or whatever, or a major systemic event of some sort. Maybe then we can look at how that can be applied to the main market. But for, yeah. you need to firewall that stuff off now. Like you know, it's, it's not like there are there's a dearth of uh, registered securities venues in the U.S. For instance, you'd easily turn the uh, you know Nazi American or something like that into a blockchain powered yeah. instant settlement liquidity pool. Fine, do that or a dark pool, or whatever. But yeah, I mean, learn to crawl before you walk. Is what yeah. I'm and right now, everybody, yeah, everybody's just trying to run. And again, we've been talking about this for a while. 2019, guys. This isn't going to be the year either that y'all are hoping for yeah. these great big projects to get them rolling out. I don't know, man. I, I have my doubts. We'll see if uh, if in December I'll be in Crow on uh, this front. If, if we'll be in Crow because um, I think that we're pretty universally locked in on uh, that this is... Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of staked a bit on this yeah. now, haven't we? <laughs> All right. So that's everything as far as the news. Um, yeah, you know, we, we, James and I, we, for, there are a few, you know, when we don't have guests on especially, we like to... Just ramble on about certain topics because some of you yeah. like that. We do, some of we, you we do have some guests lined up for April, though. Yes. So, you know, we have a bunch of coming up. Uh, bang, 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 bang. Um, just we've had to push a couple things back because of Boca. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about politics. Yep. Turn um, off now if you don't want to hear about yeah, it. So this is probably going to go on for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the thing I want to talk about, and I do think that this does relate in part to the markets and um, what we'll be seeing. But so the 2020 election is going to be coming up. We were going to talk about Brexit. That is such a changing thing, you know, in what, two weeks, was it April 12th, I think, is uh, the is, big is day. the new date contingent on the deal being accepted, which Parliament has already voted on twice, and the Speaker has said, you can't just bring it for a third time without any substantial changes, because you can't just keep putting something from the House until they vote the way you and want. say, do so, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or this um, dog dies. <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. Do it, do it or, the, or the cat gets it kind of yeah. thing, you know, so the dog gets it. Um, I don't know how much of that is European Union building and not. We'll see. But, yeah. um, so we're, we're, we'll just gloss over past that. Mm-hmm. The one thing I am interested in is in the lead up to 2020s and just listening to some of the proposals that are coming out um, is this idea of being a moderate uh, Democrat mm-hmm. is out of favor um, and uh, is going to be out of favor as these as new Democrats that have come into the House um, and into the Senate 
are going to push the party hard to the left. Yeah, well, who's the most moderate candidate who has definitely announced now? It's probably Kamala Harris, would you say, yeah. probably? Is, is Biden in there yet, or have we... Biden has, I mean, the journal reported seven days ago that he has told his close supporters that he is going to run. Yeah. And I think he almost slipped up during a speech in Delaware yeah. or something saying that. So we all know he's going to run, but he's leaving it too also, late. Also, just... So. Old man, do it. Otherwise, you're yeah. a doddering old man that can't make a decisive decision. I, I love Biden. Mm. I would vote for Biden in a heartbeat. Stop with this will he, won't he thing. Well, I wonder if he's doing it just so like the rest of the candidates can soak up the criticism from and the, the airtime from Trump at the moment, yeah. and so they can get you know the, he's got to be in his bonnet about Beto and that kind of thing, and uh, and and John McCain apparently, which is a weird target to go after, but you know, <laughs> each to their own. Yeah. Um, he needs to get in there, though, because at the moment, like, you know, and he's himself has called it the money primary. And this yeah. thing is what it is. All the people allocate their stuff to candidates early on. It becomes a question of dollars. Um, you know, Biden... And Bernie and Beto uh, have yeah. a better, have shown... Well, Bernie and Beto will good, uh, probably split each other's vote, hopefully. I but think they've that been great in money raising. Yeah. Capital raising. Like, um, and it's, this is why it's so wasteful, having a bruising primary. It's like, save this. Come on, guys. Save this for the campaign. Well, I like, can't help yeah. but look at it. So the 2016... Again, I tend to vote Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm conservative, um, though I won't, like, Donald Trump is not a conservative, he's not a Republican, but mm. whatever. It's a story for another day. Um, but 2016 was one of the greatest fields that I've ever seen of Republican candidates. We've talked a little bit about this in the past, but yeah. there were so many guys in there that were really high-quality uh, individuals to be the, the presidential nominee. Yeah. And... Those moderates, and that's how they thought, you know, they, they did the old Republican thing. We're going to be moderate Republicans, you know, and stuff like that. You know, we'll, we'll kind of adhere to a little bit of the tea. But then the party just started. Trump came in. The crazies on the right just pushed everybody. And then everybody on the right, was uh, the moderates were trying to figure out, okay, how do I fit into this? Yeah. And they couldn't do the crazy right. Rather than just staying hard and fast, I am the moderate. John Kasich tried to do it, but he could yeah. just never I mean, get any As soon as it became clear that, that Jeb Bush and Kasich weren't going to be the front runners, yeah. and it was left to, like, what, Cruz, to uh, um, to Rubio, and to yeah. Uh, Trump, yeah. that's when it started just getting crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I, you just see the same thing happening right now. That's Right now, the left is forcing all these candidates so early to go hard left mm-hmm. that it's going to be hard to pick, because that's what you're always supposed to do, right? You go toward... You know, your base in the primary, but then you come toward the moderates in the general. But 2016 showed that that's not really available anymore because your your what you say now is going to be bludgeoning you. And if you're being pushed so hard to the left yeah. right now on Green New Deal, on reparations. On race, on, on everything else yeah, as well. So, all yeah, these yeah. different things where you're answering to every last little thing. Yeah. I, I can't help but think that right now the, the Democrats are unfortunately setting themselves up to elect Donald Trump. No, I think time. they are. 100%. I think there's too much infighting. You know, Bernie Sanders should never have been allowed to run in the Democratic primary. Like, this is ridiculous. He's going to suck up the votes from Beto and he's going to suck up a, a proportion of, of people who would otherwise maybe caucus Biden as mm-hmm. well for this. I mean, I think the big hope was Biden would come in earlier and be the responsible adult in the room. And he'd be like, listen, guys. I'm a 76-year-old white man. I'm obviously never going to appeal to this crowd of 
new left or whatever that wants me to behave in a certain way or say a certain thing. But this is my platform. I think it's a decent platform. I'm going to stick to it. And I have a proven track record. Exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm, he's running on Obama, on what him and Ob- what under the Obama exactly. administration. And he should get he should get the Obama uh, nod as well. Right, I would have thought. But like, gonna, yeah, he's got to get in there, I guess. Um, I think the hope was like originally from from Democrats I speak to anyway, um, and people who are sort of involved politically was that he would come in early and act as a kind of centrifugal force. So people will be trying to enter the race and just like kind of skim off him yeah. and back out quickly without doing too much damage to the fundraising. So people like Chilabran, for instance, yeah. you know, and people like, uh, uh, um, who's the uh, New Jersey mayor? Um, Cory oh, Booker. Cory Booker. Uh, yeah, people like that, who don't have a reasonable hope in hell of winning the presidency, yeah. but are going to still suck up resources and create stress and valuable time that could be used if we had a clear and present danger as a presidential candidate, we could use on, and I say we, I'm an independent by obviously caucus with the Democrats and most issues, um, that could be focused on, okay, how do we counter Trump and how do we do this? And do we spend our time in a bruising primary or do we spend our time sending this guy and whoever his uh, his running mate is out early to all of these states that we ignored in the previous election, building up our support base there, yeah. listening to people and addressing those concerns and come up with reasonable and practical plans to address those concerns rather than just doing it off the cuff on the campaign trail, yeah. which doesn't help anybody. As it stands right now, I think we're going to open a situation where you're going to have the diehard Bernie fans um, who are going to wait to see whether Beto or him kind of like, you know, exceeds the other. Then they'll switch their support to that. You have uh, moderates who are now going to be split between Biden and, and Harris. I think it still would have made sense for Biden and Harris to run on the same ticket, but that would have been difficult, I yeah. think, maybe because of such an emphasis that Harris has placed on race as well in her campaign. Um, Which ironic as a prosecutor. Like some of her, her, she's one of those classic examples of, she's saying all the right things right now to appeal to the left, but you should actually look at her prosecutorial record. And it it kind of, uh, I don't know that she's uh, the right person to take up that mantle. I know, exactly. And he had a good like thing there because, you know, Biden was the vice president, the first black president, that kind of thing. But then I guess maybe the optics she saw was, oh, the white man's taking over because the woman's sort of, you know, now the, no, listen, (laughs) as in any career, you make your way up and you do the the jobs first and then you go to it. Um, I don't, I honestly don't, see a way out of this for the Democrats having such a crowded field if they're, if they're actually going to try and accommodate everybody rather than just having some kind of runoff at the beginning saying, right, okay, let's just do an internal ballot of the party. Let's whittle this down to like three or four yeah. strong candidates. And then those are the ones who go on the debates and everything else. Everyone else is just wasting our time. Yeah. So yes, it's your right to run as president. Yeah, it's like, uh, like Minnesota's uh, Amy Klobuchar. Cla- and you can't I, even remember I her I watched her on Meet the Press uh, this past weekend. And I thought she did a good job. She wants to be a moderate. Yeah. But I don't see... No one knows your name. No one's just... You're already out of it. Well, I, just, it's, it's stuck for people like me as well. As a moderate um, left-winger, uh, like I, I don't get to buy into this whole ultra-left nonsense that goes on these days. You know, people we interact with on a daily basis I have no time for, um, yeah. who would have previously been my, my comrades and my allies and politically. I'm just... Uh, people like me are stuck now thinking, well, I've just got, I've got, to, I've got to vote for Biden because there's nobody else who's going to represent me like this. Yeah. So I don't want to vote for Bernie. As much as I like his ideas and theory, I know that they're not practically possible. Yeah. And I know that it encourages a certain immature segment of the political um, sphere that wants to see that happen in the same way that the Tea Party has those radicals on the right who want to see things that are never practically possible happen. Well, I mean, so it's like, like, there yeah. are a couple of things that... So, as a conservative, I, I do believe in ideas around uh, the Green New Deal. I'm, I'm very, for me, it, it comes more than, I, 
I'm not going to ever have kids, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Not good. <laughs> we all hope uh, yeah. God help us. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, the world of tomorrow, I, I just don't really think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it, it really is about you're, we're actually going to create jobs through this as opposed to dying, you know, fossil fuel, old, old yeah. ways of creating energy, stuff like that. This is ways to create jobs. It's ways to create, you know, just efficiencies in the economy um, to to really put us ahead of other countries. You know, just like the AI race that I want us to be investing and be at the forefront of AI and have the smartest and the brightest coming here to America to study here in America. Um, so that's immigration policies being more open in that regard to allow them more easily to come and study and learn here and stay here. Um, same thing on you know the Green New Deal, but when you once you start turning the Green New Deal as the left you know has originally done of turn it into universal health care, no. things that that's not. I know that there will be plenty of people out there that will argue with me on this and say that that it is green. It, it listen, it's a separate keep it issue. Smaller. Yeah. Yep. What can we do today that is realistic? And you know they're talking about reparations now, and I didn't even know where that one came from. Like. God, you want to really see the Trump base get riled up. And granted, we're two white men talking here, but yeah. I, I'm just saying that you're basically going to create something that's... Is that going to be anybody's first policy out of the box? Mm-hmm. No. Climate change, Green New Deal, that could be some of these candidates right out of the box, but then you got to create something that's moderate. This is it. I mean, my wife is a, my wife is a conservative Republican, pretty much the same political outlook as you, actually. And she was saying that the other day, she was like, I could have 100% voted for that Green New Deal. I think that's right, but... Not if you're going to tackle all of this crap onto it. And, like, yeah. you know, it becomes impossible and it shows the political immaturity. Like, I like um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I, I personally think she's got great attitude. Um, I like that she's not afraid of stuff. I know she rubs a lot of people up the wrong way, but I think she has the right ideas in her head. This is an example of political immaturity coming from first-time Congress people and people who should, frankly, yeah, know people better in as the well. House. So, you know. But, you know, hey, listen, God bless her that putting it out there, putting it on the table, I, I do find it interesting that somebody who just went into office is mm. is already forcing 2020 candidates how the the amount of magnitude that she's had and kudos yeah. on her to, that's that's what house people do yeah. they throw out here's our crazy you know ideas here's yeah. everything i believe that you know obama was that when you know he was in um in uh, the legislature the the, the, the illinois state senate yeah. you know stuff like that and then as a senator he was able to kind of, yeah. but then all of a sudden you're like, no, now I'm running on a national campaign. Now I have to start no, bringing this yeah. in, become inclusive because, and this is why, one of the big reasons why I hate Trump. You are not the president of the party. You are the president of the United States of America. You're, you're the president of white men, of white women, of black, everybody. You can't be, you know, so this idea that this that the Democratic person has to be. Yeah. Listen, again, we're white, but I just want the best candidate. I don't care if white man, white woman, don't care. Black man, black woman, I don't care. Give me the best candidate with a, a platform that can universally reach across, win, win votes in Pennsylvania, win votes in Virginia, win votes in Wisconsin, in, in these swing states, in Colorado. That's who I want to see. Yeah, and right exactly. now this party is going hard left. Well, it is, and it's, you know, two things I'd like to see happen. Number one, well, three things, actually. Number one, a, a cap on the amount you can spend during the primaries. Yeah. Um, whether that's raised through super PACs or whatever, there has to be a hard cap on what you can raise because it's damaging. 
uh, for both parties. That's no, not going to happen. For not going to happen. Number, <laughs> number two, some runoff rounds where you will these guys down. You know, this kind of thing. And I think it does well, happen. That's what to the an primaries extent. are, I guess. But the, they are, it, but like, is it done? It needs correctly? to be yes. more systematically put yeah. in place. And number three, the ability. I mean, the I know the ability is there, but you know, remove of the tradition. You don't challenge the incumbent from within their own party. I think there are a lot of voices in the Republican Party that don't want to see Trump um, yeah. running again, and I think there should be ability to challenge that. Because I mean, if someone like you know, your boy Ben Sass or something like that decides... Uh, he's not my boy anymore, but... You know, he, uh, he, he, he rubbed me up the wrong way recently as yeah, well. He, uh, yeah, his vote on um, on whether or not Trump has the constitutional powers, I was like, nope, you're done, you yeah, are. This is as it, I right. always say, never, never love your politicians because they will disappoint you. Yes, and exactly. He's a great writer, he's a great mind in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. As an actual um, politician, he doesn't back up what he writes about. He does it. Yeah. He always says, like, I don't care if I don't win re-election. No, you do. And hence why you were so afraid to vote against Trump yeah. on this. Anyway. Exactly. Uh, yeah, my point being that... Yes. Um, you a third-party candidate. Uh, to your point, the president isn't president of the party, even though he is the party's leader. It's yeah. not the UK. Um, you know, it's, the, uh, it's just the ability that charismatic and if not charismatic, then at least uh, infamous presidents have to shift the entire party a single way, whether that's to the left, whether that's to the right, is problematic for American politics. And you see what's happened to the corruption of the Republican Party. And the biggest refrain I heard during the last um, midterms was that this is now the party of Trump. Yeah. Rather than this is the Republican Party, Trump happens to be the leader right now. Yeah. Um, that's no matter what happens so. in 2020, the politics has been changed for the next decade yeah. plus because... This is a new subset that will exist. The Tea Party, I guess, was the original, you know, tumor I'll use, but um, <laughs> was the original uh, kind of shift. But then that just metastasized, how we say that word, uh, into this is Trump. He won. He could get destroyed in the election, lose all 50 states, you know. It won't matter. It will be because the deep state beat him. It will be because... You're going to have now this, this is something that, and every Republican that runs for office going forward, for as long as Trump is around and giving his opinions, and then whoever his acolytes are around and giving their opinions, that you will have to answer to that as a Republican going forward, and that scares the holy hell out of me, because that means that... I no longer will ever see a politician that I will want to vote for. Exactly. I mean, you uh, see this. President. You see this globally, though. Like this is the kind of the. We think that the populist era kind of died down a bit, but it didn't. It just infiltrated the mainstream. We see it in the UK with the Conservative Party in the UK, for instance, which you know, historically the the anti EU fringe was just that. It was a fringe. It was the angry old men, white men, rich men. Who no one really took seriously. Yeah. And now you've got things like the European Research Group, which is a party inside the party. It has its own whip and things like that, but led by that kind of Victorian nightmare, Jacob Rees Mogg. Um, great name, great name. Uh, it's a great name, yeah. <laughs> Shame he's an absolute bastard. But still, it's a. It's a um, and the same thing you see now with the Tea Party, where it's infiltrated the party proper and also become the, the mechanism of the party in a way. Like, you know, even when if Trump goes in the next election, his legacy is going to be felt on the left and the right um, for. Yeah. I had decades, I would say, to come, because he's emboldened this nasty aspect of politics where there is no compromise, there is no acceptance of uh, responsibility. Like, I mean, yeah, no one holds their hands up and, and says, okay, yeah, maybe I was wrong about this, so maybe we need to change things as a result, like normal people do when they're arguing yeah. about stuff. Um, everyone now just goes, oh, no, no, fake news did it. Like, these Democrats are trying or to do stuff. Saying, so, like, to know. a Democrat that tries to have a moderate answer to a question, like, so somebody mm. that comes out, 
think Jill Byrne tried to do this. Now, granted, she waffles on her positions all the time. I used to, I was a huge supporter of hers back in the day, back when she was in upstate, you know, New York, you know, uh, moderate Democrat, you know, yeah. kind of coming in. But then once she got ambitions to run for president, now she'll just say anything and just flip flop on her position. You're allowed to change your position, but you got to give a good reason as to yeah. why. Anyway, I do think that if I'm if I'm remembering right, she did give on the Green New Deal. She did have more of a nuance. Listen, let, there is stuff that we can talk about here. Let's keep it that. But now she's just you know people ju- will just sick in on you and attack you. You have to buy in wholesale, whole cloth. You know the fact that your work is being asked. Why should you be allowed to run? Shouldn't you just step aside and mm. allow a woman or a person of color to? That's insane. That's mm. we have elections that you're allowed to go and vote for women, for people of color, for the white men, whoever you want. Yeah. That's what we have elections for. You don't just step aside if you do believe that you are right for this country and you have the right ideas. You know, let's let's see what your ideas are because Vito mm-hmm. also isn't running on anything right now. He's just running on. Let's bring the country together, baby. Cool. Can I have some policy, please? He's running on yeah, good vibes from his yeah. uh, midterms, right? Yeah. Where he almost, almost yeah. became a senator, but not quite. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see whether or not, and if things go horribly wrong for the Democrats in 2020, and we do have another four years of Trump, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what what becomes of the party. I, I, think, I think the Democrats will split if it happens. I really do. I think the third party will yeah. merge between the moderates and the Republicans. And well, you almost have them four parties. You have the Trump Republicans, your yep. old school Reagan Bush you know, Republicans. Yep. You'd have your moderate Democrats, your Obama Biden Democrats. And, and then you'd have yeah. your this new group of we want it all right now. Again, like we're seeing that in the in the UK as well with, you know, a number of cross party MPs resigning and forming a new group called the independent group. Which, you know, and the Lib Dems, we have four parties now yeah. in politics. So. And everybody will say, like, oh, well, this has always been the case where we always worry about things. But no, because of social media, because of the fact that you say one little thing wrong and the flood of your own of Democrats that yeah. will just flood on this one individual because he or she said something that they don't agree with. Everybody floods on it. It now becomes a news story that... You know, you could say, oh, okay, now Fox News is asking about it. But, yeah, also MSNBC, CNN, all the, you know, everybody now has to ask about it because now there's this flood of, oh, my God, and then everybody starts attacking. It's different now that this has always been the case, you know, Goldwater and everything back in the 60s. This is a different universe that we exist in now because of the fact to create gangs that will attack the other person. Yeah. Who are in theory kind of on your side. This isn't just oh I'm right I'm or I'm a Trump guy I'm gonna attack Bill Rock. No, this is inside the house. This is inside the house on Kamala House. This is inside that you know their own party. It'll really be interesting to see, you know, how this kind of moves the needle forward. I I don't know I I, I worry about it, but I hope that the Democrats can get it kind of together because I yeah. I will vote as long as there isn't a Clinton in there. <laughs> I'm going to vote Democrats because I'm disgusted by what's become of the Republican yeah. Party. Just absolutely disgusted by how they're voting. Just increasing the debt on giving the president constitutional powers that he should 100% not have. We were supposed to be the adults in the room. What the hell happened here to this party? No. So I will vote Democrat. But you got to give me somebody that isn't a complete 
lunatic. Otherwise, then yeah. I'm just going to, as I did in 2016, just no protest vote, you know, and that's that. Oh, yeah, I mean, if, if the Democrats lose it, they've got themselves to blame. Yeah. Right, this is it, yeah. All right, so we're interested, but yeah, uh, so yeah, politics, yeah, for some of you, like hopefully most of you have already tuned out. Uh, <laughs> we will be back with guests um, in the coming weeks where we will just be talking about technology and yep. uh, fun little things. Um, and if you have thoughts on who we should have on the show, uh, feel free to reach out to myself or to James, and we'll go from there. But uh, until then, we will see you next week, and have a good weekend. See you later.